All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 8 is where we are going to be this morning. Jeremiah and chapter 8. Boy, it's hard to believe it is the last Sunday of 2020. Uh, Now, we still have another service. This is not the last service of 2020, but it is the last Sunday. Uh, We'll be back uh, again for our Wednesday service. But we're in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 8, Jeremiah chapter 8. We're just going to begin reading in verse number 20, verse number 20. So once you find it, if you'll go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word, Jeremiah chapter 8 and beginning in verse number 20, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse number 20. The word of God says that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do pray that you would give wisdom this morning. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would just enable me, Lord God, to be your mouthpiece. Certainly, Lord God, we want everything that is said and done here to bring glory and honor to you. Lord God, to be pleasing to you. And Father, we just pray for that this morning, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. If you know anything about Jeremiah at all, you know that he probably had, of all the prophets, one of the toughest ministries. Now, although not to say that any of the uh, prophets had easy ministries, but Jeremiah had been given the unenviable uh, position of telling Jerusalem exactly what is going to happen to her for turning her heart from God. Not only would Jeremiah uh, uh, prophesy and preach before all this takes place, Uh, The Bible tells us that he would witness it taking place as he would actually see the Babylonians come in and and decimate Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the book of Lamentations was written by Jeremiah as he laments what has happened there to that city of Jerusalem. And then, of course, he would continue his ministry after that. But in several instances, we see Jeremiah overwhelmed by the visions of destruction that he has received. As a matter of fact, we see it here uh, as he is given this vision. The Bible tells us in verse number 21, he says, I am black. That is a a way of, uh, well, uh, comparing his soul to what it would look like if it were in sackcloth and ashes. Uh, He is mourning. Uh, He says, I am black. Astonishment, he says, hath taken hold on me. And so in several instances, so much in love was Jeremiah with his people that he could scarcely bear the burden of the message that he was to deliver. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, is much how we ought to be with the vision. I believe God has given us from his word concerning the consequences of sin and the destiny of the lost. As a matter of fact, as we... Uh, As we read Jeremiah, it is so easy to see what he was facing in a country that he loved, in a city that he loved, because uh, though not to the same degree, we kind of are facing the same thing in the United States of America. 
in a country that we love, in, in, a, in, in a place that we love, and we ought to love our country. We ought to love our place. Not, not to the point that we will turn our back on God for it, but to the point that we will love it and witness to it, excuse me, and pray for it. And, of course, that's where Jeremiah is here. Jeremiah's vision of the future gave him a better understanding of the condition of his people. Much like what the Word of God does for us today, it gives us a better understanding of the condition of the nation in which we live. Jeremiah is much like the guide for the blind who is trying to convince the blind man that he's headed for danger because he's been given this vision. And he's telling the blind, you're headed for danger. And, and, and this is where you're going. And, and please heed the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And the blind man instead is rejecting Jeremiah's vision and going and finding himself another blind guide to lead him and of course, as we, as Jesus says, when the blind lead the blind, that they both fall into a ditch or they both head to destruction. And Jeremiah, seeing clearly what is going on, is praying and preaching and prophesying to his people. The more Jeremiah beseeches, the more determined is that blind man to do his own thing and say to Jeremiah, Just leave me alone and quit telling me where to go and what to do with my life. My much like what we have in our country today. When people say, just leave me alone and let me do my own thing. Let me live my own truth. The tragedy is not only was the blind man choosing to go in the wrong direction. He also chose to be blind. So I want you to notice this morning quickly Jeremiah's discouragement in verses 20 through 22. And we just want to look at some of these things this morning. First of all, I want you to notice he's discouraged because of the finality, the finality of it all. Verse number 20, he says, the harvest is past. He says the, uh, the summer is ended. You know, those of us who live in Oregon, we know that there's a very short planting season here in the Pacific Northwest. And if you decide in November, oh, you know what? I forgot to plant. Maybe I had to go out. Maybe I had to go plant some corn. Or maybe I had to go out and plant some things. It doesn't matter how genuine you are. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. If you go out and try to plant in November, you are not going to get anything because the planting season is gone. There's that finality of it all. You're not going to reap anything. You're not going to benefit anything. At that point, you can change your mind. Boy, in the spring, maybe uh, decide, you know, I don't want to plant this year. It's just too much work. But then come fall, you've got to pay the piper. You have got to live with the consequences of the decision that you have made. And it doesn't matter how repentant you are at that point. It's too late. And Jeremiah says Israel's there. You're to that point right now. Summer has passed. Harvest has ended. 
It doesn't matter. You can change your mind now. Of course, they wouldn't. But you can change your mind now because now you've got to live with the consequences. Now you've got to live with the punishment. You can't decide now that you're going to go and plant. You know, I've been told, and I don't know this by, by personal experience, but I've been told that uh, someone who uh, gets addicted to smoking, that if they quit in enough time, they can actually reverse the damage that has been done. But if they continue going on and on and then quit later, it doesn't matter. There's nothing they can do. They cannot reverse the damage that has been done. They, they've been doing it for too long. The day has come when it is too late. And Jeremiah says, the harvest is past. And we are not saved. You know, there is a lot of aspects of life that we can look at where this is the case. My, the Bible tells us when it comes to raising our children, we should not wait to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We should begin right away to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Man, as soon as they're born, you need to start bringing that kid to church. And you need to get that child in the habit of, of being in church and, and living for the Lord. Because the day comes when it's too late. Too late for a parent to influence a child positively. There's just a narrow window. And therefore, it is imperative that we don't put it off. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 19, 18 says this, chasten thy son while there is hope. You know, there's been way too many times where I've sat down with parents in my office who waited until their kids were teenagers to get, to get serious about the things of the Lord. And they'll, uh, they'll, they'll sit in my office and and they have these teenagers that have that that have or that don't want anything to do with the Lord. And they'll ask me at that point, preacher, what what should we do? What can we do? Man, at that point, I just sit them down and I tell them, listen, because you, you're starting now that they're 15, now that they're 16. I mean, they don't want anything to, to do with church, anything to do with the Lord. Uh, um, you need to you need to bring them, but at this point, you just really need to be praying and and living for the Lord, because, boy, that window is so small. Chasten thy child, while there while there is hope. Let not thy soul spare for their crying. You know, there comes a time when it's too late to prevent certain consequences, certain punishment, or reap God's blessing. Consider the children of Israel in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse number 16, where the word of God says that they mocked the messengers of God. Now, this has been going on for centuries now. God in his grace and in his mercy has sent prophet after prophet, Isaiah and, and, and uh, uh, other prophets. And God has sent unknown prophets to uh, Israel. And the Bible says they mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. I can remember as a kid doing that to my dad where dad 
our dad was pretty patient. And I, I know I tell a lot of stories about it, but my dad was actually very patient. But my dad had a threshold. And when you passed that threshold, it was too late. There was nothing you could do. There was nothing you could say. We were beyond bargaining at that point. There was going to be punishment. And there needed to be. You know, God's got a pretty high threshold. And with the children of Israel, it was centuries. He sent prophet after prophet. He wanted his people to repent. He wanted them to turn from their wicked ways. But the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that once that threshold was, was met, that there was no remedy. They were going to bear the consequences of their poor decisions. King Saul learned this about God. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse number 23, the word of God says, Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. At that point, it was too late. And you know, King Saul had someone who continued to pray for him and to weep for him, a prophet named Samuel. And finally, God said to Samuel, you just need to quit. You need to quit weeping for him. I've rejected him. You need to move on and you need to go and anoint the new king of Israel. There are people in hell today who are still trying to bargain with God. Matter of fact, we read about one in, in the book of Luke, and he just continued to bargain. I bet he still is trying, but it's too late. He's reaping the consequences of his decision to reject his God. Well, Jeremiah says the harvest is past. He says the summer is ended and we are not saved. The challenge to us is do not put off getting your own heart right with God. Don't put it off another day. Don't put it off another minute. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, don't wait for the ideal time. That ideal time will never come because today's the day that you need to be saved. There may not come another day. We are told not to harden our hearts. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 13, exhort one another daily. Listen, Christians, this is what we are to do to one another. Encourage one another. If you're right with God, stay right with God. Uh, if, you, uh, if, you are, if you are backslidden, man, I encourage you, get your heart right with God because the, more you're, the longer you're backslidden, the harder your heart's going to get. And then the harder it's going to be for you to come back to the Lord. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. <laughs> In other words, what is today? It's today. We need to exhort one another today. Why? Because tomorrow may not come. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
you know, they say tomorrow's the day that really never gets here. Why, if tomorrow does come, we're not going to call it tomorrow, are we? We're going to call it today. And so, while it is called today, because it means I still have a chance. If, if today's today, I can get my heart right with God, and I ought not wait another day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. Don't wait also to be a testimony and show God living in you and through you. Consider the finality of hell. And our neighbors are headed there. Our lost friends are headed there. Our lost relatives are headed there. Don't wait to get your heart right and be a testimony. Don't wait for your own personal relationship with Christ to be what it ought to be. Because the day will come when the summer will be over. The day will come when the harvest will be past. And the day will come where we'll have to say, I'm not saved and I'll never have an opportunity to be saved. The rich man in the book of Luke is still grappling with that reality. Man, I'm not saved, and there will never be an opportunity for me to get saved. He asked for a drop of water, reprieve, and it was denied him. The harvest is past, man. Jeremiah, he is just contemplating the finality of it all. Man, God's judgment is final, so don't wait. Well, the second thing. That Jeremiah uh, that caused Jeremiah's discouragement is uh, uh, is his frustration. Look in verse number twenty one. Not only the finality, but his own personal frustration. Verse number twenty one. He says, "For the hurt of the daughter of my people, am I hurt?" He's looking at Jerusalem, and once again, the vision that God has given to him, not a pleasant one. He says, and as I look around at this city, I'm hurting for this people because I know what's coming. I know where they're headed, and I know it's not good. He says, first, I'm frustrated at their destination. Jeremiah sees where Jerusalem's actions are taking her, and he weeps over her like a father does his wayward daughter. My, if you are a, if you're a parent, and we've all, watched our kids headed in the wrong direction for uh, at one time or another. And no, ooh, that's going to hurt. Uh, that's not going to feel very good. Ooh, that's going to be learning the hard way. We too ought to weep over instead of comfort ourselves by falsely condoning the sinful actions of loved ones. And... Man, we're guilty of doing this all the time because sin is so plentiful in our society. And because it has become so plentiful, we, we tend to condone it rather than weep over it, particularly if it's our loved ones that are involved in it. Well, you know, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it now. You know, it doesn't matter that everybody's doing it. It's still bad. Sin is still sin. 
It doesn't matter how popular sin becomes. It doesn't matter how, how accepted sin is in society. God will never accept sin. You do realize that heaven's not a democracy, right? That uh, uh, God doesn't take votes and say, well, this was a sin a hundred years ago. Let's take a vote and see uh, who thinks it's a sin today, and that'll be the new rules. That'll be the new law. Those will be the new mandates. Now, God's the same yesterday, today, forever. We ought to weep over instead of comfort ourselves by falsely condoning the sin in our children's lives or the sin in our loved ones' lives or the sin in our own lives. By the way, condoning sin is a sin. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse number 16. And, and here's the thing. It's, it deceives us. And we become deceived. Eve was deceived. That's why she ate of the fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil. Completely deceived. But she didn't have to be. She had the word of God. She had the truth. I guess you could say she chose to be Deceived, because she wanted to condone those actions. Deuteronomy 11, verse number 16 says, Take heed to yourselves. In other words, pay attention, be cautious, be awake, be aware that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside. My many have been deceived by the... uh, just by the the amount of sin going on, well, it can't be bad. Everybody's doing it. First Corinthians chapter six, verse number nine, says, "Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God?" This is what God thinks of sin. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then God says, just uh, in case you have forgotten, be not deceived, neither fornicators. By the way, that's probably the one that is condoned the most today because everyone's doing it. Why? Guys living with girls and girls living with guys and and, and, and then they get engaged. And well, that's okay then. No, it's still wrong and there's still going to be consequences. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Of course, that's just putting yourself before God. That's what sin does. That's what, uh, that's what Eve did. Why, Satan told Eve, you deserve it. Hey, um, God knows the day that you eat thereof that you will be as God, knowing good and evil. Experience life. Just try it out. You deserve it. Idolaters. Hey, God, uh, the word of God goes on. Be not deceived, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. You know, here just a few weeks ago, one of the, the mainstream magazines was praised for uh, the first time having guys dressed in dresses. And what a wonderful thing that we have been enlightened 
and awakens. Well, God's word says, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Preacher, that is so old-fashioned. Everybody's doing that. Yeah, at one time, everyone thought the world was flat, too. But it didn't make it right. Hey, uh, be not deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Christian, don't be deceived. Just because it's all around us, maybe even in people close to us now, don't be deceived. Sin is sin. And the consequences are still the consequences. Jeremiah is frustrated because of the severity of Jerusalem's punishment. Jeremiah indicates that he's as the color of mourning. That's what he means when he says, I, I am black. Uh, I am darkened, sackcloth and, and ashes. That's the picture that he's painting there. He's flabbergasted, not only at their destination, he's flabbergasted at their callousness. And they are so calloused. They're calloused, first of all, to the preaching of God's word. In uh, Let's just back up, Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 27. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 27. God says to Jeremiah, Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them. But they'll not hearken to thee. Thou, all, thou shalt also call unto them, but they'll not answer thee. Thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. He's just flabbergasted at the fact that They'll believe a lie and call it the truth. And then they'll take the truth and they'll call it a lie. He's also flabbergasted at the fact that they are callous to the preachers of God. Not just the preaching, but the preachers. Before we get to that, well, let's just go back to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. The book of Jeremiah chapter 5, verse number 12. Jeremiah 5, verse number 12. Jeremiah says they, they have belied the Lord and said, It's not he. Neither shall evil come upon us. Neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the prophet shall become wind. And the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. And so Jeremiah simply, he says that people are going to hear the preaching of the word and they're going to say, oh, that preacher, he's just a bunch of hot air. And what he says is not going to come to pass. Second Chronicles chapter 24, verse number 20 says that the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said unto them, Thus saith God, 
Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. This is what is going on in Jerusalem. A man of God stands up and says, you know why we're having such problem in society? Do you know why the divorce rate is so high? And do you know why our kids are so rebellious? And do you know why violence is everywhere? Because we've turned our back on the house of God. We've turned our back on the word of God. And because of that, you cannot prosper. You've forsaken the Lord. So he's forsaken you. It doesn't matter that you have on your money in God we trust because you haven't trusted God in years. And the Bible says that they conspired against him. That means that they brought a case up against him. And who knows what that case was? We know this, they were not above hiring false witnesses and making false claims against men of God. Why, this is what they did to Jesus in the New Testament. We don't know what the conspiracy was, but somehow, some way, they vilified this man. They made him a public enemy number one to the point that everyone said, we are better off without this preacher. And the Bible says that he was found guilty of whatever they tried him for and they took him out and they stoned him at the commandment of the king. This means it wasn't just a mob. They used the law. They used lawyers. It was a conspiracy. And that's how men of God were being treated in Jerusalem and Israel. And Jeremiah is just, he's flabbergasted. Not only at the fact that they are hardened to God's word and hardened to the preaching of God's word, they are hardened to God's preachers, but not only were they hardened to the word of God and the preachers of God, they were also hardened toward their own affliction. My, they were going through it. Their city around them and the infrastructure was crumbling. And the people just didn't care. Well, we don't have to turn to God. We have other solutions. Solutions that just seem to make things worse and worse and worse. You know, our public school system kicked God out. It's only gotten worse and worse, and worse. Kids come out, and they can't even read. And so we just keep throwing money. Obviously, God's not the solution. And we just keep inflicting ourselves with hardship and more and more consequences of our actions. And we become so hardened to our own affliction. In Joel chapter 1, 
God brings Joel on the scene. And God says to Joel, Joel, I want you to, I want you to show the children of Israel. Man, what is happening? In Joel chapter 1, verse number 1, Joel immediately comes on and he says, The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, ye old men, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your days or even in the days of your fathers? So in other words, he's appealing to the old men who saw things that were better and now they've lived their lives and they've just seen the destruction of it all and now asking these rhetorical questions, have you ever seen things as bad as they are today? You know what? We could appeal to the elderly in our own country and say, have you ever seen it like this before? Have you ever seen it as bad? The elderly, if they, were to, uh, if they were to answer honestly, they'd have to say, no. As a matter of fact, many can remember a day when you didn't lock your doors, when you didn't lock your car. Now you need an alarm for your car. You need an alarm for your, uh, for your, uh, for your house. I, my grandfather used to be able to remember a day when you took your rifle to school. Maybe shot something on the way or shot something on the way home to eat. <laughs> but there were no mass school shootings. Guns are not the problem. It's a lack of God. That's the problem. Even I remember in my day, I, sadly, I guess I'm one of those older guys. I can remember pulling into the church or to the school parking lot, pickup trucks everywhere, gun racks in the back, rifles in the back because they just got back from a hunting trip. No one would have thought of taking that rifle out and started and starting shooting classmates with it. That's not what it was for. But today, oh, man. You take a pocket knife to school and you're going to get suspended. Because have things gotten better and better? No, things have gotten worse and worse. And God brings Joel on the scene. And man, this could be America today. Have you ever seen things as bad? Ask the elderly. Has it ever been as bad as it is today? Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the land, and, and tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm, and this is just uh, uh, hardship after hardship, plague after plague. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath, hath the caterpillar eaten. My, we could just go on and on and on. Yet they were so calloused to their own, own affliction. I've sat down, my wife and I, thinking about, oh, couples and families that have turned their backs on God. And, 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 and God has just 
allowed them to suffer consequence after consequence after consequence. And my wife has sat down, my wife and I have sat down and asked, are they ever going to realize that these are not tests? These are a result of turning from God. They're a result of condoning sin in their lives. My, these, these health problems and these marital problems and these emotional problems and these mental problems, and yet they get further and further from God and they continue to condone sin. And boy, are they ever going to come to a point where they're not hardened even to their own affliction? And that's God with his people. Joel, ask him. When are they going to get sick of punishment after punishment after punishment? When are they going to get tired of, the, uh, of the, 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 the palmer worm following up with the canker worm? The locust following up with the caterpillar? When are they going to get tired of it? Jeremiah, I imagine, is also flabbergasted discouraged by their callousness. In Jeremiah chapter 6, if you're in Jeremiah, let's turn over there. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse number 15. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse number 15. Not only were they callous to their affliction, they're callous to their own sin, to the point that they're boasting about it. I told you about that magazine. I can't even remember which magazine it was. How embarrassing to pose in front of a camera as a man wearing a dress for the entire nation to see. And then being proud of it. And then chiding anyone who would speak against it. How dare you? You ought to be more open-minded. Listen, this is what we need to be open-minded to. Open your minds and fill it with it. And yet, I can remember in my lifetime where it would be embarrassing to be caught in girls' clothing. It would be a punishment to be caught in girls' clothing. I remember when I was a kid one time, we were house-sitting for a family. And uh, uh, we were in the process. We were between houses. My parents had sold one house, and we were, we were buying another house. And family we knew went on vacation, so we got to... Uh, uh, we got to use their house, kind of house it for them while things were settling with our houses. It was as one w- was closing from the sale, the other cl- uh, closing from the buy. Sometimes you're in limbo that way. And I can remember that the family whose house we were house sitting uh, had a, a couple of girls and their rooms were pink. We were not going to sleep in a pink bedroom, I want to tell you. We fought over who got, only one of the kids was a boy. And we fought over who got the blue bedroom because how embarrassing, if it ever got out, that we slept in a pink bedroom. I know you're dying to know who. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) 
I honestly think we just slept on the floor in the blue, in the blue bedroom. <laughs> I think we all did because we were fighting over it so much. Mom said, fine, you're all in the blue bedroom and you're sleeping on the floor, which was fine with me. I'll sleep outside before I'm sleeping in a pink bedroom. My, how far we have come. But you know, I thank God for a dad who raised me right. I thank God for a dad. I think one of the reasons we are where we are today is because more children are born to an unwed mother than are born to a home with two parents in America today. That's a sad stat. But we become so open. We're not even ashamed. Look at what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6, verse number 15. He says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall at the time that I visit them. They shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Ezra writes, O my God, in Ezra 9, verse number 6, he says, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my voice to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespasses grown up unto the heavens. More of us need to be like Ezra and say, Lord God, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even... I'm embarrassed to even come to you. As an American, I'm embarrassed to come to you, Lord, because of that stat. Lord, I'm embarrassed to come to you. I'm embarrassed to lift my face. I am so glad that our God is gracious and merciful and loving and does not turn away any repentant sinner. But nonetheless... We ought not be hardened to our iniquities. And Jeremiah is flabbergasted. He's discouraged. And they become calloused to the, to the preaching of the word. They become calloused to the preachers of the word. They're calloused to their own affliction. And they're calloused to their own sin, their own iniquity. Not only does he talk about the finality of it all, getting back to Jeremiah chapter 8, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse number 20, the finality in verse number, in verse number 20 of Jeremiah chapter 8, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. God's judgment is final. Not only the finality, he also reveals his frustration. Among those frustrations, man, he's... he's Frustrated at the callousness. They're callous to the preaching. Preaching doesn't even convict them anymore. The altars are empty. The tears no longer flow. No longer repentance over sin. He's frustrated at their callousness, but he also points out their own futility of their efforts. Look at verse number 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? So now he's using physical illustrations. Balm was uh, uh, obviously was a, was a, uh, 
an agent used for medicinal purposes. And there was a lot of it in Gilead. And because there was a lot in Gilead, a lot of physicians had set up shop in Gilead. And so he, what he's doing, he's using this physical illustration and he's saying how silly it would be to have a physical ailment and refuse the balm that's in Gilead or refuse the physicians. Would that not be stupid? Especially if you knew the balm would help you and it would heal you. Is there no balm in Gilead? No physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? So once again, using a physical illustration to a spiritual problem. How silly would it be that the cure is in Gilead and you refuse to go? Or someone went to Gilead for you, got the balm and brought it to you and said, here, apply this. And you said, no, because what I'm doing is better. Meanwhile, you're being, your, your body is being racked by this physical ailment that you are living through because you refuse to use the balm in Gilead. Well, Jeremiah says, Jesus is the answer. You know, that's what we've been saying all along. My, the ailment in the physical or in the public school system, Jesus always was the answer. He still is the answer. The problem to our economy. Boy, godly principles would certainly help the economy. Uh, God is the answer, always has been. Man, the ailment to my family, God's the answer, always has been. The ailment to my children, God's the answer, he always has been. And he's still available. So why is not the health of my daughter of my people recovered? Because they choose their own forms of recovery and it's just making them worse. And Jeremiah says, my, your own efforts are futile. Your own efforts at, uh, uh, to conform, your own efforts to reform futile and everything we try just makes things worse and worse and worse first of all he points out the futility of their efforts to identify and solve their own problems my they were trusting in things of this world to help them jeremiah chapter 37 let's just go ahead and turn over there and uh, i'm not going to get through this whole thing but I want to end with this. Jeremiah chapter 37. Look at Jeremiah chapter 37. Jeremiah 37, verse number 7. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, thus shall you say to the king of Judah that sent you unto, unto me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, shall return to Egypt and to their own land. So rather than trusting in God, they're trusting in the world. And now they, they, they have this ungodly alliance with the Pharaoh of, of Egypt, which God said, no, trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. Don't go to the world. 
to help you of your ailments, your, your spiritual ailments. Here's what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to return to his homeland. Verse number eight, the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, deceive not yourselves, saying, oh, the Chaldeans sh shall surely depart from us. They shall not depart. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remained but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. God is saying it, it is so sure that this city is going to be destroyed by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. It doesn't matter that you have got this alliance with Egypt. Egypt's going to go back. They got to fight their own battles. You're going to be left alone. And even by some miracle, you are able to defeat this army. It is so certain that you are going to be destroyed by them that if even they had to be raised from their wounds in their tent and come after you, they will destroy this city. That's how certain it was. Oh, do not rely on your own efforts. Your own solutions. My, they trusted in things of the world to help them. And those things only make matters worse. Not only did they trust in the things of the world, they blamed others instead of themselves for their problems. Well, here's a solution. Let's just blame others. And we'll say, this is your fault. And if we can eliminate those others, and of course, who are they going to blame? Men like Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're such a negative influence on society. It's no wonder we keep losing with negative people like you. With hellfire and brimstone preachers like you. Now, if we could just rid society of people like you, we'd be able to win against the Babylonians. But because you keep coming and saying, you're going to lose, you're going to lose God's word. You don't want to go up against the Babylonians because God has brought them. Oh, Jeremiah, you're such a negative influence. We just need to rid the world of people like you. So they blamed others. I know I've kind of harped on this today, but we hear this all the time. Nearly 50% of all transgenders attempt suicide. Do you want to know why? Because of people like you. Because of people like me. Who stand up here and preach that... God will judge. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's actually not true. It's not because of people like me. It's not because of people like you. It's because anytime you go against the natural laws of God, there are consequences. But do you know what they're saying? And do you know what the media is saying? That if we could rid this country of people like you, 
if we could rid this country of people like me, then things would be better. Boy, we have come full circle. Because now we see Jeremiah points out the futility of their efforts. Oh, you are trying to identify and solve your own problems, but God wants to solve them. Just obey. Accept Christ as personal Savior. Accept his word. Accept his preaching. I want to tell you, even as a child of God, I don't always like God's word. God doesn't say you got to like it. He says you got to do it. You know why I don't always like God's word? Because I'm still living in the flesh and the flesh is constantly warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Man, sometimes this old flesh wants to do one thing and the spirit of God, the word of God says, no, you need to be doing something else. And in this flesh, I don't like to hear that. But I have to come to the realization I'm wrong. God's not. Let God be true and every man or all flesh a liar. What do you do if you don't like? Well, first, um, I'll be honest with you. I tend to backslide a little. Try to bargain with God a little. Realize my own solutions are futile. Sometimes suffer the consequences of my own decisions. And listen, we've all done it. And then realize, you know what? God was right. You try to withhold the tithe to pay bills and you realize, well, that didn't work out very well. Truly, God does blow on it. Truly, we do bring our wages home and put them in bags with holes in them if we don't trust God with our finances. Oh, hey, we all come to a point at one time or another where the word of God speaks to us and the flesh doesn't like it. But it doesn't make God wrong. It makes us wrong. It's futile. It's futile to try to make God wrong and live our own truth. The balm was in Gilead, and they refused it. Jesus is the answer. We celebrated it all week. He's still the answer. If you don't know Christ as your personal Savior this morning, oh, I want to tell you something you'll never regret, making him your Savior. Christian, this morning, if you are fighting against God, his way, his word, I want to tell you something you'll not regret if you just submit to him. Submit under the mighty hand of God and allow him to bless you. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Death is not final for those who are saved. Man, what a great lesson we learned this morning in the book of Daniel. Jesus is the resurrection and the truth. He's life. And that's what he wants to give 
to us. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, really there's